When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into another edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, originating from TSL's high tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archive, we're so glad you could join us on Monday, December 2nd, and we recap the Commonwealth Cup from Friday afternoon. A lot to get into today as UVA snapped the streak. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll recap the entire game. We'll get Will and Chris's thoughts and get your questions a little bit later right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, our normal crew today as we enter the month of December. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set. Our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, so glad that everybody could be with us. we got a lot to get to today. A reminder that this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with a moving violation. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. You can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning. Happy December to you. It is uh, snowing in Blacksburg uh, before we walked into the offices this morning. Flurrying. Let's say flurrying. Yes, flurrying. Uh, was not expected to be flurrying this morning. No, no. I was on the way over from Radford this morning and... Like, literally on the 460 bypass, it started up. It's not doing this over in Radford. But it won't stick. Uh, Let's start off with this. A little bit of uh, exciting news. Uh, Today is episode number 100 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Uh, A lot of great content over the last 100 episodes. And really cool to kind of... uh, Shout out to Malcolm and you guys for uh, keeping an eye on on the tracker and realizing this was the big number 100. So... This was supposed to be fun. (laughs) Instead, it's a whole wah, wah, wah. Yes, I, uh, you know. So anyway, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so people well, uh, people told me for a while you need to do a podcast, and uh, and, and I I'm a writer. That's my nature. I'm not an audio or video guy. You know that that's not the way I roll. So people would tell me that, and and I didn't listen to podcasts, and I didn't know anybody who did. So I was like, rah, 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 get, get off my lawn, you know, and didn't want to do a podcast. <laughs> and then uh, Ricky LeBlue was working for us. We hired Ricky in uh, t- summer of 2016, I guess. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, after he graduated. And uh, and he told me, you need to do a podcast. And the other, one of my other personality traits, which, which is unfortunate, is that I have trouble delegating. So um, I felt like I needed to have some sort of hand in creating this thing and finally i got brains enough to just look at ricky and say all right you figure it out whatever you need you know just let me know the budget you put it together and and the other resistance that chris and i had to it was we already had plenty of work to do and uh so i told ricky i said uh so here's the deal i'm willing to do it 
but it literally has to be a situation where you say podcast time, Chris and I get up from our desks, walk over and talk for however long and go back to work. I don't want to have to do any of the other stuff. And well, that's the way you delegate cowboy, you know, that's the way it's done. So uh, Ricky did a good job setting things up and purchasing all the equipment and getting us going. So that's his uh, legacy here at Tech Sideline. And, and I've, I've grown to really like it. Um, people that subscribe just quote unquote, just for Monday thoughts probably won't want to hear this. But there are days where I'd rather just chat for an hour, hour and a half. And, and you, you get so much more. Yeah, I call it density of content. You know, you get so much more out. Um, but it is also more time consuming than just reading an article that might take you 10 minutes, you know. So we try to do everything, but it's really grown into a thing that I think is very cool. And uh, we appreciate everybody's, uh, you know, interest and support in it. It has grown. It has grown and grown and grown. Yeah. And the other thing that I find interesting is that um, uh, I used to go around and people would say, hey, you're Will Stewart. I love the website. And they don't say that anymore. They say, hey, you're Will Stewart. I love your podcast. Or they just walk up and go, I love your podcast. And I'm like, oh, who are you? <laughs> you know, so it, it's really cool. We're, we're really enjoying it, even though number 100 is a sad occasion. Absolutely. So you see any thoughts on episode number 100? Uh, I wish we were talking about something different. Yep, that's and that's pretty much it. That is a great way to transition and what we will be talking about for the next hour. Again, I do want to remind you that if you have a question, if you'd like to ask Will or Chris something, we do get to those at the end of the podcast. Malcolm behind uh, the scenes there, our fantastic producer, will take them down. Uh, again, Facebook, uh, for some reason, if you ask them early in the show, uh, sometimes we'll lose track, so we, we invite you to try and wait towards the end to ask. But he also does a great job of writing them down. So be sure to get questions to Malcolm, and we'll get to them uh, towards the end of the podcast. All right, let's dive right into it, guys. Virginia defeated Virginia Tech in football for the first time in 15 years on Friday by a final score of 39-30. to Cavaliers quarterback Bryce Perkins nearly accounted for 500 yards of total offense. The Cavaliers win the ACC Coastal and are likely headed to the Orange Bowl. Uh, we're three days removed now from the game. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game. Uh, it was... It had its moments where there were fireworks. It had its moments where things were looking good for Tech, and then it was close, and uh, the Cavaliers got a late field goal and a defensive touchdown, and, and they end up pulling off the win in Charlottesville. Will, I'll, I'll just ask you, three days removed, how are you feeling about the game? I think, uh, um, oh, you know, how am I feeling? So give me a second here because I, I Right, did, not about it, the game. How are, how are you personally Feeling. Well, I got a text that I think uh, kind of uh, sums it up for me, strangely enough, from Jonathan Fisher himself. Jonathan said, he texted me and he said, I'm surprisingly not upset. They had the best player on the field and he decided to win. They must have had 20 plus seniors announced. I wouldn't trade programs at all or feel like there is a shift. Heck, without Perkins, they aren't even 500 last year or this year. Um, I don't really feel the last sentence, but the rest of it, you know, it's, uh, um, I, I think you could tell by some of the stuff I was saying during the week, I just had a feeling, you know, the biggest concern is that UVA had the single best individual player in that entire game. And he was at quarterback because Caleb Farley didn't play. You know, maybe Caleb Farley's, Caleb Farley's a better corner than Bryce Perkins as a quarterback, but Bryce Perkins is a player. And he decided to go out, and we talked about this ahead of time. He decided to go out and have the game of his life. He decided to do all sorts of things he hadn't been doing all year. Now, and we're talking about the downfield stuff, the downfield passing game. 
some of that's Virginia Tech's fault. As a matter of fact, a lot of it is Virginia Tech's fault that, that receivers were running around open. Um, I'm kind of rambling, but, you know, that that's just kind of the way I feel. It's sometimes when things happen, you feel like, it was time. Uh, I remember, and I'll put this in my article today if I, if I get it written today. I remember after that 2003 game, I was super annoyed. I really thought Tech should not have lost that 2003 game. Um, <clears throat> you know, there was a moment in that game. I know you were a wee lad there, Evan, so you don't remember it. It was four. <laughs> um, you know, Virginia Tech, I think, had the momentum. They blocked a punt. And didn't they run that punt in for a touchdown, Chris? Yeah. Um, the, what I recall is that it was – 21 to 21 tech blocked the punt ran it in for a touchdown it would have been 28 21 tech they flagged Derek green for being lined up offside so the touchdown got called back uh-huh. and then uva and then scored two straight touchdowns then the floodgates right. open right. Uh, uva wound up winning 35 21 and you know i, I, I kind of glanced at some information from that game the other day wally lundy had four touchdowns for uh, uva and that's that's what everybody was talking about after the game Ooh, wally lundy wally lundy that's not what bugged me about that game. What bugged me about that game was Heath Miller had something like 13 receptions. Uh, Matt Schaub was the quarterback. He's still in the NFL. Was Thomas Jones the running back of that team? <clears throat> well, Lundy was their Lundy guy was by then. Back, yeah. Jones is more of a mid, mid-2000s mid guy. Excuse me, mid-90s guy. Mid-90s, yeah. I think. Well, I think the Barbers were. But anyway. Uh, he was late. Um, Thomas was a late 90s, like 98, 99. Right. So, uh, what I remember is, and this this just really enraged me, was Heath Miller would block, 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 and then Tex linebackers would drop back, and he'd go out and catch a short pass just over and over and over. And I remember being really angry after that game, and I remember, uh, you know, that was also at UVA. And I do remember looking around Scott Stadium and thinking, I'm never coming back to this place. I cannot stand being here. And – that was a really long time ago, but my, the point I'm making is I don't feel that way about this game. You know, I mean, UVA played the better football game. They had the best player on the field. They played a better, more mistake-free football game, and, you know, they deserve to win, and sometimes things come to an end. Real quick, Keith Miller on that game, 13 receptions, 145 <laughs> yards. Yeah, none of them all that long, right? That's an average a long of, 11, of 21. 11 yards a catch just over and over and over. Oh, and he would catch the football six yards beyond the line of scrimmage, and he's, he, like, outweighs McCall McKee by, like, whatever, and McCall would catch him and catch him over right. and over and over. So Miller would catch the ball, turn, and get four to five more yards as he was being caught by McCall McKee. And to be fair <clears throat> about that game, so you've got Schaub, who's still in the NFL, and yeah. Heath Miller, who just retired, like, last year, yeah. against McCall McKee, who is a dentist. Yeah. Okay. A dentist. Oh, yeah. wow. So, yeah. I yeah wish you had, so, Lundy, 24 attempts, 90, excuse me, 89 yards, three touchdowns. Shaw, 32 of 46, 358 yards. We go on and on talking about that, but that is funny kind of looking back at that box score. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let's get back to this game again, the 39-30 win for Virginia. We talked on Wednesday, the preview, talked a little bit about the law of averages. We talked a lot about, you know, Perkins not throwing the ball, particularly down the field, past 20 yards that yeah. well this season. Right. As a whole, though, Chris, how did Virginia win this game against Virginia Tech? What did they do that you didn't see coming? Uh, well, they hit a couple downfield passes. The, the main thing is Tech safeties reverted to their September form, uh, specifically Floyd and Diablo. Tech's defense took a step forward from being kind of improved in September to very much improved in a very good defense from October 
into through most of November because the safety play got better. Got much better in the middle of the season. And Tech went from a pretty good defense to a really good defense. And in this game, they just went back to their September form. Uh, the PFF numbers show UVA completed 100% of their passes when they targeted Reggie Floyd and Divine Diablo. Yep. 100%. 100% of them. Um, I know it's I know Shamari Connor stands out because of the touchdown he gave up, but they completed four of nine passes when they went after him. Right. Um, so that was, wasn't as bad. I know the play to Armani Chapman. There were a couple passes completed on Armani Chapman. One of them, PFF assigns to a safety not being in the right spot, the post pattern. Uh, other than that, Chapman did fine. Um, he gave up a one-yard uh, one catch and made a great tackle on third and two on the tight end. Um, he gave up a six-yard pass on third and seven and made the tackle. And then he gave up a 30-yarder down the sideline, which may or may not have been a catch. That's the one. That's I, a great play. That's the one where you just tip your hat to th- the that, that, That's the one I want to talk about when we talk about law of averages and things like that. All right, so Bryce Perkins has a big-time throw rate of 1.6%, the lowest of all ACC quarterbacks. You, you you watch him throw sometimes, and he, it looks – I mean, they're wounded ducks, basically. They're wobbly. He looks like Edward Scissorhands throwing the ball. Well, when when they were struggling on offense, he was throwing passes. Some You're just ducks. shaking your head like, going, what, what, is, what that? is that? Yeah, and all right, so your, your other – so big-time throws are, you know, like NFL-quality throws, right? Like really, really good throws. I think the name explains itself. Um, so 1.6%. And then on – Throws 20 or uh, 20 or more yards downfield, he has a completion or excuse me an accuracy rate, which means you throw a catchable accurate catchable pass, an accuracy rate of 20.9 percent on throws 20 or more yards downfield. Also dead last in the ACC. Yeah. So that throw he made down the sideline that they reviewed and they ruled complete, complete or not, it was a perfect throw. So it was a big time throw, which. He makes one, you know, one point six percent of his throws are big time throws, right. and then his accuracy rate on throws like that is twenty point nine percent. So that play just never should have happened. Every time a UVA receiver got open, he hit him, uh, you know, deep. Um, he uh, he hit him. Didn't didn't make any bad right. passes. Right, and that's something he hasn't. <coughs> and if you're Virginia Tech, you look at those numbers, and you're like, he can't make those throws. So and his own offensive coordinator didn't trust him to make the throws. You know, Virginia he made those scrambles earlier, early when Tech was playing their linebackers deep, and then Tech stacked the box and said, "Okay, throw the ball down the field because every advanced metric we have says you can't do it on a consistent basis." And it and UVA went three and out six out of seven drives, and they they weren't attacking Tech down the field, and they didn't do it until Tech took the lead. It was, it was almost like UVA was like, yeah, we're not going to ask him to throw the ball down the field because they have until the numbers have too, to, yeah. or until we have to. And then they had to, and then he did it. And it was like, okay. I mean, this, this is all 15 years of pent-up anger and aggression and, and just they were due. And, and, and things going, 15 years of things going Virginia Tech's way, they finally went UVA's way. Right. So, so a couple of things I thought about where Chris was talking was um, the some of the early runs by Perkins. Yeah. I, watched, I watched them on film last night. And, uh, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not enough of a, an analyst to say exactly why this happened, but Virginia Tech lined up, um, you know, and, and not re- I wouldn't call really stack in the box, standard formation, you know, in UVA. Like I remember one instance where UVA had three receivers – uh, 
to to the right side of their formation. And when the ball was snapped, um, Rayshard Ashby went with one of those three receivers. So that clears one of your middle linebackers out. And then on, on one of the two plays I recall, Dax was the uh, backer. He got blocked. And the other one, uh, Alan Tisdale was the backer. He got blocked. Yeah, he went the wrong gap. And, and so, so the number – and also on that play, Norrell Pollard, I believe it was, just bull rushed to the right, to a gap to the right. And it just opened up this huge hole in the middle. And at, at the same time, the safeties are clearing out, and the field's wide open, you know. And you and, and this happened uh, two or three times early on, and it's kind of head shakers. So UVA probably put them in formations to clear guys out, and then guys hit the wrong gap, and boom, boom, boom. So you know, you mentioned the two big runs at the beginning. I want to talk about that because Perkins on the day on the ground finished 19 attempts, 164 yards, two touchdowns. Of course, a lot of that coming in the first I quarter. Think, came in the first, first quarter. quarter yeah. yeah. So. You mentioned how Tech dropped the linebackers deep to begin the game, and we talked yeah. about on Wednesday how Perkins has shown all season that you know he can run the football. Were, were you surprised at all to see Tech drop the linebackers yeah. back and, and let Perkins – you remember on that first drive, was third and long, picked it up on his feet, um, and then had another third down conversion on his feet before I, he scored the touchdown. I was surprised. Um, as far as the, the two scrambles, the two third down scrambles, it was, the, it was made that easy for them. It was all, Tech was dropping their linebackers at times. Uh, and I remember, yeah, I remember that first play just watching the linebackers. Just, just clear out. Just clear <laughs> out. Uh, and I was like, are we really that scared of, of the downfield passing game with him because of the numbers I just stated? No. Nah. Uh, as it turned out, we were right to be so. But but we didn't. But at the time, we didn't know that, right? That's not how you start the game. That, that's not how you start the game, right. right? The first thing you want to do is make him beat you with his arm as opposed to with his legs. And so now, I thought it was strange. Now, some people are saying, "Oh, why were we so aggressive?" And I, I, people always assume, or it's funny how everybody wanted Tech to blitz against Notre Dame, and now that, that they they thought Tech blitzed against UVA, that they're mad, yeah. right? So yeah, you should blitz. Unless you shouldn't, right? And but 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 Tech did not blitz. They blitzed into his second long touchdown run. Yes. But if anything, these runs were caused because were were caused because of Virginia Tech's lack of aggressiveness. I mean, Tech was very passive in dropping their linebackers off instead of playing them at at a depth closer to the line of scrimmage where where it and it closes off those clog up the middle yeah exactly so uh so from that so it wasn't that tech was too aggressive is is they weren't aggressive enough in in those situations and and i also think you might want to give the uva coaching staff a little credit here they may have seen some things on film and said listen early on if if they're in this formation defensively and we run this type of play we can clear the middle out they you know they've got smart coaches too even though uva fans don't think robert and i is a good offensive coordinator you know, they had a lot of time to look at film. You know, there's been this, this, and, and I don't, I don't want to go there, and I don't want to blame it on this, but uh, they had a bye week and Liberty in the run up to this game, and uh, you know, they they got to do some game planning, and you got to give them some credit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, anybody who understands the focus of UVA's program, I mean, they have a countdown clock to the Virginia Tech game in their locker room. That is the number one focus of their program is beating Virginia Tech. And that's clear from how they scheduled. At this point in time, that's the number one uh, right. focus. Well, on maybe it's not now. And now so they've done it. Well, so. Now they've done it, so where do they go from here? Right. Um, that's what we'd be talking about if, I guess, if we ran a UVA podcast, is <laughs> where, where do you go from here? Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, so when you've accomplished your top goal, now what? Now where do you go? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're kidding yourself if you don't think they spent that bye week or most of the Liberty week 
preparing for Tech. I mean, they had Tech really well scouted, even on the other side of the ball. All that misdirection stuff that had been there for the previous six weeks was not there. Did, did you get the same vibes, too, that defensively on a lot of plays? I mean, the UVA's defense just knew what oh, was yeah, yeah. coming at times. Just not, yeah. not, not saying anything bad about Tech, just the preparation, to your point about UVA, every they we, were really every, well scouted. We ran, we ran a, a screen, a backside screen, and the linebacker was right there. They were waiting on and it. And Hooker had to scramble to the right, and they tried a throwback pass to, I thought it was Dalton Keene, but Will told me that it was uh, Nick Gallo, and the linebacker was right there. And, and Hooker went up to throw it, and then he saw the linebacker there and then just had to eat it. And, and well, the one set. you remember early on was, uh, that was to James Mitchell, the one out to the left. Right. Um, but, yeah, pe- people who say that we didn't try to get the tight ends involved in the game, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, they handed the ball off to Dalton Keene several times. They they tried the stuff that had been working up till now. Yeah. Uh, you know, UVA was well prepared and uh, played hard the entirety of the game, and just they didn't make many mistakes. And, and Tech made a lot of mistakes. When I sit and think about the number of mistakes Tech made in, in – uh, you know, blowing coverages, uh, clearing out the middle of, on some of those Perkins runs, uh, a, a, a a false start by Damon Hazelton on the far right side of the play when the ball's going to the left, which causes a touchdown to yeah. get called back, mm-hmm. and, and you turn it into a field goal instead. When I think of all the mistakes Tech made, I'm like, wow, you know, this game was close right up to the end. Yeah, well – Tech scored 17 straight points at, at one point. Yeah. The field goal and then two touchdowns to start the second half. If Hazleton doesn't do that false start, then it's 21 straight points. Yeah. Right? Which is – but even with that, when Tech scored 17 straight points and, you know, they're losing at halftime, it's 13-6, then bam, it's 13-13, and then boom, it's 20-13. At that point, UVA yeah. had, had five straight three and outs. And six out of seven. And six out of seven. And Tech had just scored 17 straight points. And – you're like, okay, those first couple of drives stunk, but this game is starting to look more of what we thought it was going to look like. Yeah, Virginia Tech's the better team, and they're establishing right. dominance. Right. Uh, at that point, I'm like, and UVA might fold here. Do you remember where UVA's very next play was on offense? It was a it was a uh, passing play that worked. It was a pass to Joe <laughs> Reed, and if you go back and watch that film, Devon Diablo's staring into the backfield as Joe Reed runs right past him. Right. And that's one of the plays that PFF is looking at, just shaking their head, shaking their head, giving right. them a red mark. Yeah, on yeah. and th- so that was just—it was just so strange the turnaround in that game. It goes from being all defense, and then Virginia Tech starts dominating, and then all of a sudden, you know, UVA can't be stopped. Yeah, strange game. It was yeah, all, you're right. It, from a certain to a certain extent, like like the 1998. Tech UVA game. Tech was winning twenty nine to seven at halftime. Obviously, they weren't winning this game twenty nine to seven at <laughs> halftime. But when they ran off seventeen straight points, and everybody thought Tech, most people thought Tech was the better team going into the game. You're like, okay, they, they took them a while to wake up, but they they're establishing themselves, and the UVA offense is doing nothing. And then just like the second half of that ninety eight game. UVA came back and won thirty six to thirty two, and and they went from doing absolutely nothing to just torching, doing everything like, right, doing everything mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. And breaking down the UVA Virginia Tech game on the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by the Fisher Law Firm, recording on Monday morning, December the second. Do want to talk about that first half offensively for Virginia Tech? We've talked a little bit about it, but they only scored six points. Of course, in the second half, they scored twenty four. What do you think the reasoning was for the slow start on offense in the first half? I think you have two options going into a game if you're the Tech coaching staff. You can either do what's been working for you the past 
well, ever since Hendon Hooker became the starting quarterback. You can either go with that game plan, which is entirely based off misdirection, off smoke and mirrors, which is the proper way to protect a young offensive line that isn't going to be able to beat you straight up. You have to... You have to have a, a misdirection-based offense when you have a young offensive line that's not going to physically match up to the defensive fronts they're facing. Uh, so I think Tech went with the option, oh, we'll go with what's been working for us instead of we're going to attack their weaknesses, which was their corner play, basically, with Tech's wide receivers. So those were your two options, and Tech chose to go with what had been working for them since whatever the date of the Miami game was, October or whatever. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it was the wrong decision. UVA had a long time to prepare for those misdirections, and they were ready for every single one of them. I mean, Tech went with the exact same game plan against Pitt the previous week, which, quite frankly, has a better defense than UVA. And Tech put up over 200 yards in the first half in the rain. Yeah, uh, Pitt just wasn't as prepared for it as UVA was. It's not that Tech did anything better or worse against Pitt. It's just Pitt wasn't as prepared. I think in the second half, Tech came out and exploited their mismatches a, a little bit better. They, they, they abandoned, you know, the, the tight end stuff that had been working for them the last six weeks or so, and they started going Hazleton against those receivers and, and getting Trey Turner more involved, uh, you know, even in the, in the end around and stuff like that. So I thought once Tech, once Tech really started targeting UVA's weaknesses, they moved the ball better. Um, you and my so I, I don't I'm not mad at them for coming out with the game plan that I had because it's human nature whether you're a football coach or whatever profession you're in to go with what's been working for you and they went with what had been working for them and it, when it when it started to not work my only issue is that it took them a whole half to make the adjustment well one thing that stands out to me about the early going is they're you know uh and, and I'm sorry, I can't regurgitate the exact play calls or situations, but I, I thought that when they got down in the red zone, I got down inside the 10, there was an unwillingness to challenge UVA's corners with something like right. a fade route. There was run, 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 kick the field goal. Um, the runs weren't atrocious. I think on one of those early drives, Tech got just inside the 10 and got the ball down to the two, I think, with a couple of runs. But it was that stood out to me. Uh, they did not challenge UVA's corners with Damon Hazelton uh, early on. Yeah, and it, you know, you look at that second quarter. Tech outscored. It was just three nothing. But the Hokies, as you said, they started loading the box more and keeping Perkins in check on the ground. And then they also played field position fairly well in the second and third quarter, which se- resulted in good starting field position and some points. Yeah, Tavian Robinson had a couple of really good punt returns that obviously are going to help out in the field position game. And UVA had been a great field position team all year so that was a battle that tech really needed to win and 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 they they won it for the most part uh they won it until they until they chose not to win it with some decision making in the fourth quarter which we'll we'll get into later right yeah um, well, I want to ask you this. What what was more surprising to you, that the Tech offense only scored six points in the first half or the Tech defense allowed 26 points in the second half? <laughs> um, because both both units had a lot of success coming into this game. I would say I was, I was more now, to surprised. To be fair, tw- seven of those tw- – or six of those 26 in the second half were, were – di- were, were, Correct. Yeah, yeah, were, thank you for correcting me. Okay, yeah. so – I was I was surprised by the defensive. I'll call it a collapse. It was a collapse. Um, they were doing great, and then they just weren't. 
you know, and it became this thing where who's going to have the ball last or who's going to screw up first. So I was more surprised by the defense. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and kind of dive into things in the in the second half. We we talked about Tech having success on offense. How you just mentioned what they changed from the first half, outscored Virginia twenty one to seven in the third quarter, and the Hokies had a touchdown late in the third quarter. The big pass from Hooker to Turner. I thought that was one of the best passing plays of the year. Turner mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, uh, shook off his defender about the 20-yard line and raced into the end zone. But then I was telling Will before we went on the air, there was about 40 seconds left, and UVA, by the end of the third quarter, had the ball first and goal inside the Tech 10. It just felt like every time – it felt like a back-and-forth mm-hmm. heavyweight fight. Every time Tech scored, it wasn't just that UVA responded. They responded in a matter of seconds, it felt yeah, like. For sure. And one of the plays on that drive was the Perkins – pass down the right sideline for 30 yards that got reviewed correct yeah they i think they had a nice pass on uh, in an early down then through that one then through that one on first boom, and boom, 10 down the field. and bam d- d- just down the field just like that mm-hmm. um I, I don't you know th- there will be talk of whether or not the refs got that got that play call <coughs> right um i felt i haven't gone back and watched the replay of the game but i felt like when i watched the game live that they got all three reviews wrong Including the one that benefited Virginia Tech. So there was there was there was the near interception in the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the catch by I think that was Dubois. Yeah. And what's what's the third? I one? I don't even remember what the third one but was. You, but you, you just remember thinking, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, don't, yeah. Um, taking a look at, now, let's just kind of dive into things in the fourth quarter. Oh, the Hazelton catch, the one-handed catch. Yeah, yeah. They I, should not have reversed that. I, I don't know. I don't think officials understand. Like, Hazelton grips that regular-sized football like you and I would grip a Nerf football. Right. I mean, that's, he's got his hand wrapped around it. His hand is so big. He's got Jerry Boykin hands, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think the, the, the replay officials understand stuff like that. So before you move on, let's talk about the, the hooker touchdown run. Okay. Um, the how many yards was that? A, a, like 40, 50 yards, something like that? 30-something. 34-yard run. 34 yards. Uh and that was to give momentum. That was the first score of yeah. the second half. I felt, and people I was looking at on Twitter felt also, that uh, Hendon uh, in the, in the uh, uh, not RPO, the in the read option game was was exclusively handing the ball off in the first half, mm-hmm. and he finally kept it. And that was a cakewalk into the end zone because UVA was keying on the running back. That's something that Ryan point. Willis could have done many times in his Man, career. Just, just, <laughs> and, and and I was having shades of Ryan Willis because Hooker kept keeping the ball. Excuse me, kept handing the ball off in the first half, and the outside would be wide open. Like Hendon, keep the football, and he finally did, and and you saw what happened. You know, staying with the theme of that and how the Hokies, again, that run tied the game at 13. Right. I think everyone took a deep breath after that tie. Now we game. got a ball game. And, and listen, ending the third quarter, Tech's up 27-20. And I have to ask, at that point in the game, you're going in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. with 15 years and momentum in the third quarter. Did you think Tech was going to lose that game? No, I didn't. Um, they, had, they ran off 17 straight points. And then, okay. UVA comes back with a touchdown, and you're like, okay. Now, that, granted, the third quarter it. ended up with, like, first and goal at the 10. So, it, they were knocking on the door. Okay. They, they were knocking on the door. Uh, fair enough. Uh, but still. I didn't think Tech would lose. Um, I thought if it turned into a shootout, that the Tech would be able to outscore them. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, just because, hmm. like, I mean, UVA doesn't win shootouts. They won it against North Carolina, but North Carolina's but defense North Carolina. is bad. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Um, my, my feeling at that point in time was that it was anybody's ball game because I thought Tech was firmly in control when they went up 20 to 13, and then they gave up the pass to Reed, and then I think that was the drive for UVA where the touchdown was scored by uh, – It was Talapapa, the running back, just a handoff up the middle to uh, tie it at 27. Okay, so then I'm remembering the one later where – and it was probably following the Dubois pass where they threw a – Gosh, it must this have was, I'm sorry, this was in the third quarter with 224. So so just to get, kind of show how back and forth this was, by the way, there, there Billy were Kemp had the 25-yard. That was the one where Chamari missed the tackle. He ran yes, up the middle. So that put the score at 20-20, to 20, mm-hmm. 224 third quarter. Then, within a matter of about two minutes, the 61-yard touchdown pass, Hooker yeah. to Turner, put the Hokies up 27-20. And then with 13-30 to go fourth quarter, Talapapa, up the middle that that finished the drive of the thread the needle pass right. to the sideline yeah, yeah and that tied the game yeah so i think by the end of the third quarter Texas defense had started to crack and i had a creepy feeling um the announcers did say at one point i think there were four touchdowns scored in less than seven minutes it, it suddenly turned into this big shootout after being a defensive battle for most of the first half so we go we go to the fourth quarter mentioned the talapapa two-yard run 27-27, and really, uh, the possession, you, you kind of look back at everything, was the, the Brian Johnson, which, by the way, one of the, I think, the best kicks of his career, the 47-yarder, he crushed he, he, that he, ball. He's, he's I'm not going to say wasted. That's a silly thing to say. He can't help what happened on the on the other sides of the ball in these two games. But the two longest field goals of his career have been against UVA and Notre Dame this year. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, man. It, it's like free throw shooting. It's like when the Hokies go out and shoot ninety percent from the line and lose anyway in basketball. You're like, well, yeah. why didn't you just shoot sixty <laughs> percent? <laughs> Save that for some for a close game that we're going to need it. Um, so, it, so if if I remember correctly, from the time it was twenty seven twenty seven, that's when the Virginia Tech offense started making mistakes. That the next possession was where they went down and actually scored, and it got called back for the illegal procedure, right? And then and then it was. Am I getting my timing right on thing? No, that was earlier. That was first half. Okay. Yeah. So uh, what, so why just, why did Tech uh, only score a field goal from the time it was twenty seven twenty seven? What happened in the ensuing? Well, I believe that there was a, it was third and long, and Tech ran the ball on third down to, to set up the field goal. Right. Uh, they had the ball kind of inside the thirty yard line, thirty five. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember the the distance. Third and something. Third and obviously third and something. Uh, third and long. Uh, yeah, and generally, yeah, you want to run it on third and long, as we'll get into later. On, in my opinion, what was the biggest play of the game? Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, okay, that's I, like you said. It's it's so back and forth. I don't I don't know where are we at right now. So <laughs> we're, we're at, we're at what the possession John, the, are we at and what happened? On? Johnson. So it was a six play, twenty seven yard drive that just took two and a half minutes off the clock. Johnson nails a forty seven yarder. Tech's up thirty to twenty seven with ten fifty eight to we go. We had in the good field position because Kashawn King had a kickoff return. Was that the return. King kickoff return? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, UVA uh, Virginia Tech really dominated. Did a, yeah, especially up until the end, did an excellent right. job. And then Delaney on the uh, ensuing possession ties it at thirty. So it's thirty thirty, and I, I think at this point everyone realizes this is a huge drive coming up with seven and a half minutes left. The game tied at thirty. So let's let's back up a little bit. Um, when it was thirty to twenty-seven, uh, if I remember correctly, UVA got down inside the Virginia Tech ten, and that and I remember in particular on third down. What amounted to a coverage sack? Correct. Uh, yep. Yeah. Pocket uh, kind of collapsed. They also he, Perkins also scrambled left at one point, and Dax in a play oh. that he that he didn't make earlier in the year against like ODU and Furman quarterbacks, he tackled Perkins in the open field. 
Uh, so that was – I think UVA was at, at the nine-yard line or something like that. And and, per, and Chris is right. Perkins goes left, and he's isolated against Dax. And I thought, uh-oh, here comes a touchdown. And, and Dax broke down properly. Jim, Jim Morris said in the color analysis the way he phrased it was he said he didn't cross over, meaning Dax did not turn his body either way. Mm-hmm. He squared up and – and made the play, and that was a huge play. From a PFF standpoint, I believe that was Dax's best game of the season and maybe his career. Wow. Graded it great out in the mid-70s. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you're, that's, you're 100% right. They score the touchdown there. They go ahead with seven and a half minutes left instead of the game being tied at 30. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's where Tech, again, had the, the third and long at midfield with just about four minutes left, and Hooker – makes a you know rare mistake he drops mm-hmm. back it looked like as you said there were two receivers open at the first down marker under threw it maybe a little bit maybe yeah. those I, receiver- I thought that UVA linebacker did a great job splitting the difference between the underneath receiver and the deep receiver is this where he threw the interception, yes. the interception. He, he, he uh he made that throw as difficult as possible as he could for hooker with, with the depth of his drop so yeah. he was he did it perfectly that linebacker for UVA did um now I'd have to go back and watch the, the replay uh, y Tech had two receivers kind of in the same area uh, in the deep part. But to me, that that's not the issue here. The issue is it's third and 19 for midfield, and you're throwing a pass that, let's face it, you're probably not going to pick up 19 success, yards. Yeah. Um, it's a, I know everybody wants aggressive play calling on third down, and there's a time for that, and this wasn't the time for that. You get to run the ball, punt it, Pin them inside the 10, make them drive 90 yards. You're winning the field position game at this point. Um, you're breaking off big punt returns. Um, make you know, and I, I know their offense was rolling at that point, but still the likelihood of them going 90 yards. And remember, they don't need a touchdown. All they need is a field goal. Right. Right? So make them drive a right. long way to get that field goal or that touchdown or whatever. Instead, you go for it, and you don't get a chance to punt. If you throw it, throw it deep, right. right? So that way if it's intercepted, it's like a punt. Instead, Tech gave it to him at the 34. Then we had to go 16 yards to cross midfield. And I, I guess what? how many yards did they gain on that drive? It was a um, – I have the scoring summary in front of me. One second. Okay. Um, drive chart. On that drive, Tech gained – let's see, the uh, interception. Uh, uh, no, how many yards did UVA gain? After that one. After, after the interception. Yeah. I, would could, need to, it, I would need to look a little bit more. Okay. Um, uh, it couldn't have been – it was a 48-yard field goal, right? Which so, so it was a long field goal. Uh, so it was snapped from the 31. It was snapped from the 31-yard line. Okay, so, so that means they gained 19, 19 on that side, 19 plus 16. It's the 35 yards. Sure. Yeah, they didn't have they, to go very far. They only had to go 35 yards to, beat, to, to, to kick the, the game-winning field goal. Okay, and, and that's what happens when – you're too aggressive on third down, right? Just, 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 and and this goes back. Fuente got away from his principles again, which is throw to score and run to win, right? You run the football right there. You're not. You're probably not going to make the first down. You're probably not going to make the first down. Everybody's going to be like, oh, what are you doing? You know, you know. But you got to block those people out and punt it down them at the ten. 
and make them drive the length of the field. Well, the game because the game is tied at this point. Right. Let me the reiterate: the game is tied at thirty right. four and a half minutes. There was a, a point I was talking about early in this game where I think some fans were wondering why it was third and maybe fourteen at Tech Zone forty, and they ran the football, mm-hmm. and people wondering, hey, why not go for there? But what ended up happening is Bradburn punted to the ten, mm-hmm. UVA three and out, and then a Tavion punt return. You had the ball at the fifty yard right. line. Right, playing that, field position. Exa- and that's yeah. exactly what could have happened in that situation yeah. late in the game. Now, granted, that was the first half when, the, as you said, UVA's offense was definitely correct in a rhythm. It, but it you was a different to, situation. But you still don't. You, you put st- the ball in their hands. Say, here's ninety yards. Here's ninety yards. If you can, if you can get it, we'll, <laughs> then, we'll tip then, your cap. Then you deserve right. it. Kind of like Notre Dame deserved it, I guess. Uh, was that the possession where uh, Virginia Tech started out? around their 20 or 25, boom, 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 out to midfield. Then they threw a first-down pass to Trey Turner over on the sideline, and Trey dropped it. I uh, forget when. I thought he dropped a third down. That was, I think that was a first-down play because the next play was a false start. Okay. And, and you go from first and 10 to, like, second and 15. And it, it, it was just a – that's an example of, of I'm talking about where not enough Virginia Tech guys made enough plays. You know, and that's an example. That's a Trey had made the great play earlier on the 61 yard touchdown catch. He had another opportunity to make a play and keep things going, and they never did run a replay. I don't know if the ball was tipped or not. There was a there was a a defender behind him and one right in front of him. That is the toughest catch for a receiver to make is when somebody comes into your field of view just a couple yards in front of you. You can't tell whether whether they're going to tip the ball or not, and whether you you're going to have to adjust your hands here or here right at the last second. Absolutely the toughest catch for a receiver to yeah. make. So I, I'm not even sure, like, I would count that as, like, a full-fledged drop. It's not like he was running in open space. I and, agree. I think yeah. a catch would have been a pretty exceptional catch yeah. there. Yeah. So after the uh, the interception, which, by the way, I mean, Hooker, I mean, there, there was someone there. I think I think the play call was probably there to make. He just, uh, just you said I, the linebacker made a really solid play well, on the Well, yeah, the, 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 the concept there I think was pretty good. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that if the – one of those receivers didn't run the wrong route because there were two guys in the area. But I think the, the play concept was good, but that UVA linebacker played it absolutely perfectly. Yeah. He played it as perfectly as a player could play that pass. So, the as you said, the Cavaliers get about 35 yards, and then there's Delaney who missed an extra point to open <laughs> up this game. And then nearly missed another one. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a 48-yarder, and he – puts it right down the middle and there was plenty of this he could have made it from 50 plus um, probably 55 yeah at that point with 90 seconds left down 33 30 your thoughts were what actually my thoughts were uh sort of what happened um like or what went on to happen i'm like okay so what we don't know about hendon hooker we know he's really good in a smoke and mirrors offense with a lot of misdirection and things like that the reason we went with Hendon Hooker in the first place is because we couldn't run the football, and when we can't run the football, the drop-back passing game can't work because the offensive line's too young. And I'm, I actually had this thought. I'm like, well, guess what? Now they know we're not going to run it, nah. and they just get to tee off, and, and we'll see if we can protect. We don't know that Hooker can go through his progressions because he hasn't been asked to all year, and we know the offensive line – is very 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 young so it ha- not surprised what happened on that and, on and that you drive. also know the uva runs some unusual blitz packages yes that's what they tell me i'm, I'm you know I'm uh, not an analyst, you know but. lots of exotic blitzes they'll show you more different fronts than most other teams so the offensive line was seeing things in this game that they hadn't seen all year just because that's what uva does defensively 
So I'm not surprised by what happened on that last drive. You've got a quarterback who has never been asked to go through multiple progressions and an offensive line pass blocking without the threat of a running game. Uh, an offensive line that's two sophomores against a really good really good aggressive defense right against a defense that blitzes a lot and gets a lot of sacks so i'm not surprised by that result so in microcosm everything that happened there are the things tech has to work on in the offseason correct just getting older getting more mature continuing to develop the quarterback all those sorts of things. i I think tech uh theoretically except for that fourth quarter against uva tech is a really good team playing with the lead because the defense was so sound yeah. this year until the fourth quarter of the UVA game. Yep. Um, when the offense has the threat of a running game and they can be balanced, they can burn a lot of clock, and they were doing a great job of that the, the last few games. They even did a good job of it against UVA up until the point where the – you know up until the sure. end there. But to play a game like that, you need two to tango. You have to have good offense and good defense. And, and once the Tech defense just started giving up a touchdown – basically every single drive uh, for the last quarter and a half of that football game, then you can't run that game plan anymore. And I think as a coach, you prepare yourself to coach in a certain way during a game. Like you expect your defense to have a good game. I expected Tech's defense to have a good game. I really did. I, 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 I mean, I really did. Um, and then all of a sudden they can't stop them. They can't stop a UVA offense that – that didn't do much of anything against the good defenses they faced this yeah, year. Yep. So so it's surprising and, and it takes you out of your comfort level. Like you're you when you coach with a lead and you don't expect the other team's gonna be able to score very much, you coach in a certain way. Um and I, I and I, I think maybe that's the reason Fuente did what he did, throwing the football on third and nineteen. Right. On that play, that, I, think he, I think he felt the pressure to keep scoring. I, I think he did too. Yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think, it got him out of his comfort zone. The fact that UVA was going down the field and scoring at will at that point, yeah, getting yep. getting big chunk plays and things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yep, a hundred percent. And um, yeah, and then the defensive touchdown, and that was really all she wrote. I mean, thirty nine thirty. Just take me through what you guys were th- were thinking. That defensive touchdown, writings on the wall. The UVA is going to win. I mean, what 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 did it initially feel like to know that the streak was was going to end? Honestly, I wasn't. Sounds strange. I mean, I don't like it that obviously the Tech lost the game, but I mentally prepared myself for Virginia Tech to lose to UVA last year. UVA was better. I mentally prepared myself for it again after the Duke game. Yeah. So I've mentally prepared myself to lose to them twice over the last 12 months, basically. So I wasn't expecting it on Friday, but I was ready for it. Um, so, uh, you know, I just I just went up to my computer and started monitoring the boards, and it was just like, <laughs> just like a day at work. Uh, I mean, just that, – that, uh, Yeah, because he was, he was here in Blacksburg, and I was in Charlottesville I mean, in, this, it, in it the is, stands. It is what it is. I mean, it, like, it had to happen at some point. Like, yeah. I, 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 look, and I wrote this in my article yesterday. All right, so Georgia Tech, let's compare the Virginia Tech-Virginia rivalry to the Georgia Tech-Georgia rivalry, okay? So, Virginia Tech has dominated UVA much more than Georgia has dominated Georgia Tech, right? And I think Tech fans at this point think Tech should beat UVA every year. And I I ask, outside of UVA's idiocy, idiocy in hiring two bad coaches, which we have no control over. 
what is it about Virginia Tech that makes us think we should beat UVA in football? Do we have more money? Every mo- single year. Every single year, I mean. Yeah. Do we have more money? No. Last fiscal year, they ha- produced $8 million more in revenue than Virginia right. Tech. All right, so they have more money. They are closer to the more fertile recruiting grounds. All right? So they have two advantages Tech doesn't have. Tech has a better fan base, um, but I, I don't know how much that – that matters. No, I will jump you, in and say they're not recruiting the state of Virginia any They're better not recruiting Virginia. anyway. Neither right. one of these teams is right. recruiting the state of Virginia. That's worth true. crap right now. But, all right, so, all right, now let's transition to Georgia Tech, Georgia. Uh, Georgia, let's see, Georgia makes about $85 million more in revenue per year than Georgia Tech. That's a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Whereas Virginia Tech actually makes less than UVA. Yeah. And since UVA last beat Tech in 2003 – Georgia Tech's actually managed to beat Georgia three times. Yeah. So it's it's actually shocking. If you put yourselves outside, take off your orange and maroon glasses and put your and just try to pretend to be a neutral observer and look at the numbers I just gave you. Tech is behind UVA in revenue, yet beat them fifteen years in a row. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. That's more UVA's fault than it is Tech doing everything right for almost two decades. That's UVA hiring bad coaches. They finally hired a good coach. I'll throw another one in there. Uh, if you go back and look at the last 15 years of the uh, Clemson-South Carolina rivalry, at one point uh, South Carolina beat Clemson five times in a row fairly recently. It, it's not happening well, now. But. I, that was even in Dabo's first five or six years, South Carolina was regularly beating them. Yeah, that's right. And and Spurrier used to make fun of him, like yeah. in interviews and things like that. That, that. that might be where the term Clemsoning got, got invented. <laughs> that sounds like a Spurrier thing, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's it's rivalries can turn. Um, this rivalry is not turning. And I'm, I'm when I say that, I don't mean Tech's going to come back and win the Cup for the next 15 years, because they aren't, and they shouldn't. They have no business beating UVA 15 times in a row. They have less money. Yeah. And, and but they have a, Virginia Tech has a better football culture. They though. have a better football culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what does this win for UVA, what does it do for the rivalry, Will? Uh, it, it, makes it, it makes it more interesting again. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to not say things that Tech fans don't want to hear because – um, you know, I, I, to me, the peak of this rivalry and, and other people who are older might have different opinions was the 1990s when uh, when both teams were recruiting the state very well. Both teams were loaded with NFL talent and they went back and forth. I think in the 90s, it was five to five. Um, it was an even rivalry throughout the 90s. And and it was just really heated and, and really exciting. And uh, it hasn't been lately. The it's, players knew each other. They went to high school together. One of my best friends played for Tech in the early to mid-90s, and you know he knew Tiki and Rondé and all those guys. Yeah, and so that it's, it's, it's good that you bring that up because it reminds me that the stories you heard this past week were players saying, oh, yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I learned how big this rivalry was when I got here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I grew up in some far-flung state, and I learned how big this rivalry was when I got here. That didn't used to be the storyline. The storyline used to be high school – teammates 
high school rivals going at each other in this you're, important you're college game. You're getting sacked by the same guy who sacked you in high school, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, or you're getting sacked by a guy who was on your team in high school. <laughs> right. That's a great point. You know, and, and that made it a, a really great rivalry, and it just hasn't been lately, and, and I don't even remember the question you asked. What was, right. it, what was the question? What does it do for the rivalry? Yeah, moving forward. Yeah. Um, I, it definitely juices it up. You know, I was surprised that they only announced attendance at about 51.5 or something like that because – I am and I'm not. I was in the upper deck and there were a lot of empty seats around me. But when you look at it on television, the place looked pretty full on television and the hill was full. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just uh, we need more of that. You know, Um, if you know, I don't I don't I don't want to say that you need to lose to your rival. No, again, nobody listening to this podcast wants to hear that. But, uh, you know, now it's on. It's on again. You know, Bob it, it, told it, the team after the game it's not a rivalry unless one team wins, and now they've won. Right, and so it wasn't a rivalry. And and it well, it, it's perhaps the way to sum it up is it, it's turned from a running joke back into a rivalry. And and I will say this: I mean, just just from perspective of Virginia Tech students and even people, like even Malcolm per se, or others that have grown up Hokies, I mean, that are in college right now. Nobody remembers the last time UVA beat Tech, unless Malcolm, you have Malcolm a good was, memory of four years old. I don't remember. Malcolm was being four. four right? I wasn't old enough to buy a beer. You, you know, know it, I mean, it was crazy. But I, yeah. So one of the things I'm going to put in my article today, I didn't even know Chris Coleman. It feels like he's been working for Tech Sideline for forever. Uh, we hired him as an intern in 2004 and hired him full-time in 2005. He was on the message boards, but I didn't personally know him. That's it's, it's, one, it's one thing to say that the producer of the podcast was only four years old the last time UVA beat Tech. <laughs> when you really start to and, – and we've all seen OxVT's graphic of all the things that didn't exist the last time, you know, uh, the UVA beat Tech, Facebook and, and TV shows and things like the that. The iPhone. Yeah, you know. Uh, it, it's quite another to think about it on a personal level and really think – you know where was i and what was i doing the last time this happened it was a long time ago i, I want to close before we we get the questions and take a break i want to ask you guys this question kind of aside from the game so tech finishes eight and four on the year a game away from essentially going to the acc championship without spending too much time on this because we, we really could talk about this for a full podcast yeah. how would you evaluate the 2019 regular season for Virginia Tech football. So one of the things we we fretted about on the podcast, uh, the pregame podcast, was we didn't want Virginia Tech to lose because we didn't want them to be remembered as the team that uh, lost the streak to UVA mm-hmm. after every, after all the good they'd done this season. Uh, the funny thing is, even with this loss now being in the bag, that's not how I'm going to remember this season. Uh, that that's the the mental residue I find is that I still think it's a remarkable turnaround. Um, in in some of the message board discussion, one of the anti Fuente crowd was railing on Fuente for losing to a four and eight uh, Syracuse team in 2016. I guess 2016. you know losing to what wound up being a six and six Duke team really should have been five and seven. By, but Miami can't get out of their own way, and losing to a, a terrible ODU team last year. Well, you know what? If you drop the gate at the Duke game this year, that hasn't happened since then. Virginia Tech has lost on the road to a a Notre Dame team that I think ended up 10-2, maybe. Uh, Lost to a UVA team that finally won their first Coastal Division championship. Went 9-3. You know, those are are 
those are not embarrassing losses, particularly for a young team. Um, so to me, it's all about what started happening after Duke. And, and that's what I'll remember, you know. So that's kind of the way I, I sum it up. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I, I didn't know exactly how I would feel about the team if they lost. And uh, I'm not mad at them or anything, man. Uh, I think there's things they could have done better and they, they should have done better. Uh, their safety play should have been better. I think that was the main culprit in the loss was safety play. But at the same time, uh, Bryce Perkins, when he makes a once-a-season throw, which every single metric out there says he can't hit, it's like I remember watching – this is a little bit ex- a little yeah, bit extreme. So, so let me jump in here. While you're talking, can you please look up Bryce Perkins' season stats? So go ahead, um, Chris. I remember watching uh, Mets-Padres game one time. Random Mets-Padres game, right? And Bartolo Colon, the worst hitter of all time, who was entertaining from – his strikeouts is he'd swing out of his helmet literally every time he knew he couldn't hit. So he'd just go out there and try to hit home runs. And well, one time he ran into one and hit it out. And I remember texting Raleigh hook him like, you won't believe what just happened. And he's like, yeah, I'm at the game. Ha ha ha. Right. <laughs> <Bartolo> <laughs> Bar- just over. Just, yeah. Um, so, and I'm not saying that Bryce Perkins is Bartolo clone, but sometimes you run, just run into one. Right. And, he he hadn't made that throw all year. Yeah. You know the numbers say he hasn't. Every number we have, every advanced metric says he can't make that throw, and he made it. Yeah. So to, so when when they start doing that, I mean yeah, you got to tip your cap to a certain extent. And and I'll say this, man, I I ever I, I think everybody either didn't know or had forgotten what it was like to lose to them. But at the same time, think about it like this: we don't know what it's like to. I forgot. What, I don't know what it's like to win the cup. I know what it's like to retain it. To take the cup back. Right. To win it from the other team. Yeah. Um, it's got to be probably a better feeling than, oh, we won again 15 again. years in a row. It's still here. Yay. When Tech takes it back, it's going to be a really good feeling. Yeah. They'll probably take it back next year. UVA loses a lot. Tech brings back everything. Yeah. Um, we haven't taken it back from them in a, in a long time. They want to keep it for more than one year. They haven't had it for almost two decades, <laughs> right? I don't even know if they have a place to put it. <laughs> right. I, I, like, like, I don't know. I, I don't remember what it's like to, ta- to win it from the other team. Yeah. And I guess UVA didn't either. Well, uh, now we'll have a chance to find out again next year. Yeah. So well, I didn't want to lose it. But, but now that Tech did lose it, it opens up an opportunity to have some feelings that we haven't had well, in a it's long, motivating. long time. It's a motivating factor. It absolutely yeah. is. So His many, season stats. Okay. Perkins this year uh, completed 64% of his passes, tw- uh, just how, over 2,900 yards. How many attempts? 413. So if he makes uh, – let's how many attempts did he have against the Hokies? Uh, I don't know. Uh, hold on one second. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, – 33. So did you say he had 413 on the season? Correct. So that's 380 attempts, and 1.6% of them big had time. been big-time throws, right. which means that six of them. <laughs> I just did the math right. in my head. Six that's of impressive. them in 11 <laughs> games had been big-time throws. Right. Well, guess what? He had a seventh <laughs> against the Hokies. <laughs> yes, and he also, we talked about, uh, he, he, was, uh, he was prone to turning it over one out of every 20 plays. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, UVA ran 58 plays. They didn't run a lot of plays. They ran 58 of them. Mm-hmm. And he did turn it over once, but I would say that was more a tech thing. You know, tech hit him and the ball flew up into the air. It'll still count as a, t- as a 
You, you uh, sure? What, I'm, the f- I, I'm probably. Um, yeah. But uh, turnover worthy <clears throat> plays. Uh, it, it's, it'll still count as that, but still, that's one out of 58 instead of one out of 20. And he made, there, there was a stretch there for at least a quarter where he made some terrible throws, but right. he didn't make any of them to defenders. They went right. into the ground instead of going to. Because we, we talked about it in last week's podcast. I said, you watch Bryce Perkins play, and there'll be a few plays a game where you're like, where were you throwing? Uh, honestly, at? that's that's <clears throat> one of the reasons to I can respect the guy. It's like, I don't mean this in a bad way. <laughs> he's not very good from a passing standpoint. Dude, the, the guy throws the – he doesn't have a strong arm. He throws the ball into the ground a whole lot. Can't to, complete passes downfield. Yet he, despite all those deficiencies, he finds a way to get it done. Yeah. He, he found a way Friday. He said, right. I'm going to win this football game. Right, yeah. I, I know we have a lot to get to with uh, with, with our uh, viewers watching on Facebook Live. We're at an hour right now, so I want to step aside for a timeout here on the Text Online Podcast. When we come back, we're going to get to your questions. I'm sure we're going to get questions about the defensive coordinator uh, opening and the bowl projections for Virginia Tech. We'll get to your questions and that all more coming up right here on the Text Online Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline podcast. We've got our normal crew here as always. We Mountain's are not team. normal. Stop saying that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look at the look on Evan's face. <laughs> I totally interrupted his rhythm. Um, presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into some Facebook Live questions uh, with Malcolm Stewart. <clears throat> Where do we start? <laughs> Gosh, you got a lot. Uh, there's been three or four about Farley and Hazleton and maybe even Diablo entering Talk the draft. Talk about going pro. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Hazleton is, is a guy who his touches have been limited this year with a different quarterback. Like, he was more likely to catch a bunch of passes with Ryan Willis. Um, and, and he's a guy who I don't, I don't think his draft stock improves at all. If he comes back, yet at the same time, I also don't think he's anything more than a late. I mean, NFL practice squads are littered with with guys like Damon Hazelton. Yeah, solid athletes, good natural receivers, but you know, like he's basically a bigger Isaiah Ford, and Isaiah Ford spent his whole career on on the practice squad. Yeah, he's right? going back and forth, to going the back and roster forth. in the practice um, squad. Yeah, so it's one of those things where okay, you you can go start making making practice squad money now. Or you can come back for your senior year, and then after that, go make practice squad money. Yeah, uh, you run the risk of an injury if you come back, and then maybe you don't make practice squad money at all. I, I, I don't know. So that's a possibility. Uh, Diablo, uh, something's missing there. He's a physical freak, but he's a he's a scary looking guy. Scary looking guy, but when he and and when he and Floyd played well particularly from mid-October through the pit game, Tech's defense got back was dominant. It was back to being a dominant defense. And then they reverted back to September form, and Tech gave up – how many offensive points did they give up? 33? 33 offensive points. Yep. And almost 500 yards. I, I just 
I, he's not an NFL player to me. He looks like one, but I mean, I personally wouldn't draft him. Yeah, I think he'd probably do pretty well at the combine, but I, I don't think he should leave. I think he that would be a bad decision. Farley, I think, is a big time NFL prospect. He's a great cover guy, good head on his shoulders, uh, terrific athlete. Would actually absolutely destroy it at the combine. But I also think he's still such a young defensive player. That if he gives himself one more year to get stronger, gets a little more physical with his tackling and everything like that. Uh, like right now, I think he, and I might be under, underestimating how the NFL scouts feel about him. Right now, I think he's one of those fourth or fifth round picks that you ta- that you take, and you're really happy with it because you feel like you've got first round talent in the fourth yeah, or fifth round. Won. Right. Uh, I think if he comes back a year, he's a first round pick. Um, there's so many so many corners get drafted these days because offenses are spreading the field in the NFL just like they are in college that, you know, corner is a more important position. Uh, so I, I think if he came back a year, he could set himself up to make a lot of money. Yeah, I, I think you can argue, um, depending upon where Farley would have been on the field, like you take Bryce Perkins' long run, um, Tech didn't have anybody on the field that could catch him. And and I just wonder if Caleb Farley had been on the field, would he have been close enough to catch him? To catch him, right? You that's know, a good point. That, that was a that was a, and the announcers didn't pick up on Farley not being in the game until two minutes into the second quarter was when they finally mentioned it. And right. I and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tech lost one of those guys. Um, that's just one, the way, one of one of those three. The one of those three. Yeah, that's yeah. just the way. Or, it is or these more days. maybe. Yeah. Uh, you you see guys making more and more, you know, quote business decisions yeah. like that these days. Uh, everywhere um and that that's just the way it is in 2019 man yeah all right uh any thoughts on the fuente to arkansas rumors well he already turned them down once who who keeps (laughs) perpetuating this i I don't know i mean they this did not get reported by the national media okay let's let's go ahead and throw that out there it was just uh now or or previous time previous okay um our sources tell us that Arkansas wanted Fuente two years ago when they hired Chad Morris and they floated six million in front of him and he said no. What makes them more attractive now than than then? They're, if anything, they're less they're attractive. Le- yeah, because they you know that if they'll fire you after less than two years, yeah. like why why would you why would you want that job? I mean, they fired Chad Morris a year and a half, man, a year and a half. Yeah, and at, and before that, they fired a guy that took Wisconsin to three straight Rose Bowls and was the Big Ten Coach of the Year, nah. which he never should have left that job, by the way. Uh, no. But but Arkansas is a coach these days in the SEC West. It's, right. it's going to be a coaching graveyard. Yeah. And I think Fuente wants to be a head coach for the next 20 years of his life. You can go to Arkansas and get fired after three or four years, and then you're never a head coach again. Not, so a, he, not at a program of Virginia Tech staff. Right, right. You know? Exactly. So You, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. That, that may or may not be true. The, but – it's probably true, um, but there, I mean, that's there. so you can make more money short term by going to Arkansas. You can make more money long term by saying no to Arkansas. That's my take on it. I don't yeah. think there's any chance. As you see, West Arkansas. is Auburn, Alabama, yeah. LSU, LSU. Correct. I would be sh- I would be shocked if he went to Arkansas. Just utterly shocked. You like your ceiling is like seven and five. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, Charles Bowman. Thoughts on the rise of both UVA and VT football programs deciding the Coastal and the ACC, good or bad from a national perspective? On a national perspective, it needs to be Virginia Tech and Miami. 
And, you know, maybe North yeah, Carolina could play a role in that beca- right. because Jordan, you know. Yeah, um, jump, no, I, I, I certainly think it's it's better for Virginia to be good than for Duke to be good. Um, yes. Duke needs to go back to being Duke, man. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm ready for Cutcliffe to retire. Yeah, they look like they're on their way. <laughs> they, they, well, they might be. <laughs> Who knows? They look like yeah. they're on their way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, at any rate, I, I never thought it was good for the conference for, for Virginia to be going like 2-10 and 10 and 3-9 and nine like they were doing for yeah. so many years. Yeah. Um, you know, when you – this is one of the – you have so many small private schools with that can't get – Twenty or thirty thousand people in their stadium for a game in this conference these days. I tell you and what, when it rains in Durham, Duke can't get five thousand. Uh, right, wow. right. Uh, I mean, you've seen the screenshot from the, their Wake game against Wake last yep. year. I mean, there's literally well, nobody on one side of the stadium. The, the the Miami game, there was hardly anybody there. Yeah, um, and they and they won. That game was at Duke, right? I'm remembering the right thing. Probably, I think yeah. so. Um, so Virginia, their fan base dropped off. And their attendance was in the 30s for for a long, long time. High, and it's, high 30s. It's still it's still not good now. Not as good as it should be. But if any program had to endure what their program had to endure for the better part of two decades with two bad coaches and just awful football, then that 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 same attendance problems would be happening at pretty much in anywhere. Yeah. With, with the issues they've had. Um, if they continue to have success, then that will be another ACC school that could, that can actually put fifty thousand people in the stands for on a week to week basis. They have a big enough fan base and a big enough stadium, and they're in a good enough location. I mean, it's you don't have to get a hotel to go to a UVA game if you're from Northern Virginia or Richmond or the seven five seven. You can do it. It's a day trip. Yeah. And you you come to Blacksburg, you need to get a hotel, especially if you're coming all the way from from Virginia Beach or something like that. To to answer the question more directly, if you're talking about national perception of the coastal, Mm -hmm. Miami, Miami, Miami. Sure. Yeah. National perception of the coastal. It doesn't. It actually kind of doesn't matter who Miami's playing against. It's better if it's Virginia Tech. Or maybe Virginia, but as long as Miami matters, then that's when the uh, nation. But honestly, I, I think the Miami ship has sailed. Uh, it's it sailed a long time ago. Yeah, but, yeah. Know, that no. doesn't stop the press every single year. Right, right. We, we have said on multiple times we could have a Miami-based podcast if we'd want to for an episode and talk about it's that. It's a long off season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Haynes uh, says you seemed very encouraged about VT's future last week. Did UVA change that opinion? No, not nope. at all. Nope. Not one bit. Rem- right, well, remember the text I read from Jonathan said that he yep. he felt, and I feel, and most Tech fans feel, that this game says nothing about the direction well, of the program. Well, let's, let's talk about the last times, the most the most recent times that UVA has beaten Virginia Tech. And we'll go in, uh, go in reverse chronological order. 2003. 2003 the, very, uh, the very next year, Virginia Tech recaptured the cup. Won the ACC, went to the Sugar Bowl. One of the one of the best years in Tech history. Uh, ninety seven and ninety eight, Tech lost to UVA in back to back years, and in 19, and a whole lot of that group of players in nineteen ninety nine went unbeaten and went to the national championship game. Nineteen ninety four, they came back the next year, won the Big East, went to the Sugar, the Sugar Bowl, Bowl beat Texas. Mm-hmm. So all three of those years, Virginia Tech went to the Sugar Bowl. The, the last times they so what, lost. So what are you UVA. saying here, Chris? <laughs> now, if they go to the it's Sugar Bowl next semifinal. year, that means they'll be in the college football playoff. So I'm not going <laughs> to predict that. But I am saying there's plenty of historical president. Actually, 100% of the historical president of the last two decades 
is whenever Virginia Tech loses to UVA, they come back with a great season the next year. And they're poised to do that next year. They yeah, return d- everybody. D- depending upon how brutal the transfer portal is and, and how injuries go, um, you know, just, just, as a, just as a minor tangent, just think about Virginia Tech's defensive tackles next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish they could land some, some true pass rushing defensive ends. But that's – you just – um, depending upon how kind the portal is and how kind injuries are during the off season, man, th- this this team is coiled to strike. I would put it that right. way. I, 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 yeah, that's a good way to put it. Eight, eight and four, like and just about everybody coming back. Yep. Now, now, wait a minute. One more thing I do want to say about that is, and we've harped on this, and people have actually asked me again to address this. Remember, UVA's got a a a vision that they are selling with this huge master plan that's going to revamp their football facilities. They do have a decent coach. Um, finally, uh, they're still not recruiting worth beans in state. Neither which, is tech. Which, well, I, I think Bronco Bronco's a different guy. Bronco doesn't need if, if Bronco's recruiting classes like get top 25 or even top 30. I'm not sure how that well that would work for him. He needs to recruit a certain type of person that's going to succeed with his personality and everything like that. Um, So the thing here is UVA was poorly led for two decades. Uh, Like, I don't think Craig Littlepage was a particularly good athletic director. Uh, I think he... and, and UVA fans would say, but but national championships. And, okay, that's okay, about... As far as football He wasn't goes, a good football He wasn't a good director. football athletic director. Um so they made a lot of bad decisions uh, over the last two decades when it comes to football. And we can't control the decisions they make. Right. So we can't control whether they hire a good athletic director or a bad athletic director. And we can't control whether they hire a good coach or a bad coach. So for a long time, they were hiring bad coaches with an athletic director who didn't know a lot about football. Well, now they have a good football athletic director, and they've hired a good football coach. And that's uh, that part of it's out of our control. Yeah. So my, my point is uh, they, they look like they're headed in the right direction. I, I don't think Bryce Perkins is going to graduate and they're going to go away. So, <clears throat> All right, last question for today from Jeff Davis. Um, when do you think the timing of the naming of the new defensive coordinator will be? Not who, but when. Well, I think it was going to be soon, and now I think it's delayed. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, uh, so what are the three things we've heard? And, and we don't – we don't pretend to be tapped into the vein here, but uh, we have heard in the last few weeks that it, there's a handshake deal already, and then someone else told us it was somebody already on staff, which is interesting, and now someone else has told us with all the changes that are going on that that, that handshake deal has been put on hold. Um, and there's a lot of coaching moves being made right now, and the biggest one is uh, Barry Odom being fired at Missouri. At Missouri. Matt um, Luke at Ole Miss got I let go yesterday as yeah, well. So, so the Odom thing happened fast. I went and looked, and, and man, he was, he was doing a, a very good job at Missouri as a head coach, and then he had a bad year this year, and boom, gone. And right. that it, it was very traditional SEC. Like like six a, and six is a bad year, right? After yeah. going to two straight bowls. Yeah, you know, but and, and, and I know, they just signed him to an extension last December, it, so now they have to pay him more. It's, well, apparently it's a bad contract, and they're only paying him six hundred thousand a year now that they fired him. What he needs to fire his agent. If he that, needs if to that's fire true. his agent. Now I will say that I just read that on a message board. I haven't read an article. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff like that going on, and 
And I'm sure that if Virginia Tech thought they knew what they were going to do, that now they're kind of pushing back from the table going, ah, right. this is very interesting. And it's not just Odom, it's other things going on. Well, it's mostly Odom, in my opinion. Well, uh, I o- think so. Odom is uh, Fuente's former defensive coordinator at Memphis. Yeah, so in case people don't know, he was he was uh, uh, Fuente's defensive coordinator at Memphis from 2012 to 2014, and their defense improved drastically uh, yes uh, then he goes to missouri as defensive coordinator in 2015 and fields a top 10 defense well let's let's throw some numbers at it um i'm not gonna say these numbers were exact but they're pretty close the year before he got to memphis memphis's defense ranked 112th it was total defense, there, yeah. something like that his first year at memphis they improved to 50th then 39th and then 28th yeah so from his tenure, he took him from 112th to 28th. And then he goes to Missouri as their defensive coordinator. His one and only season as their defensive coordinator, they finish in the top 10 in total defense. I think it defense. was ninth. I think ninth. it was ninth. For the first time in school history. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then uh, Gary Pinkle retires. I believe that was, that was Health it. issues, I think. Health issues, yeah. right. And and he was promoted to head coach and uh, didn't have a great first year, but then 7-5 and five and 8-4. and four. Two bowl games and then six and six in his fourth year. And remember Kelly Bryant transferred there. Kelly Bryant even, transferred there. And I and think then, that's part of what led to the increased expectations for pr- this year. Probably. And, and last year you had Drew Locke, who I believe was a first-round pick to the Broncos. I believe you're so right. So he's yeah. had two really good yeah. quarterbacks there yeah. as well. Yeah, so he, the, he's a guy with four years of SEC head coaching experience with a proven record of putting good defenses on the field and who's worked with this coaching staff before. And some, so somebody somebody asked on the message boards, can he recruit? Well, I don't know about him individually, but uh, Missouri signed the number 31 recruiting class in the country recently, I believe, which is pretty good for them. For Missouri. Yeah. Right. You know, so uh, I don't know how he is as an individual recruiter, but he apparently did a pretty good job putting a staff together. You know, again, I haven't gotten to drill down into that. Gotcha. Great questions today. I feel like I always So anyway, the question, the question was about the timing. And oh yeah. Oh, the question yeah. was about the timing. I think it was going to be this week. I think it was imminent. I think it was very. I think it was imminent. I think it was going to be this week, or if we had beaten UVA, maybe the week after the ACC championship game. I think it was imminent. Like, not saying it would have been today, but by Friday, I think it would have happened. And now, I think, I think Witt was ready to move forward with it, and I think Fuente, now that Odom's available, has said, okay. Let's pump the brakes. Yeah, I got to talk to this guy because this would be the guy I hire if the numbers match up and he's interested, uh, and I'm sure he's interested. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like at this point in time that if Odom is willing to say yes, then he's going to be Tech's next defensive coordinator. I, f- I feel like that, that that's the direction it it's going. It just makes sense. And you know? it might push it back to next week. Instead of this week, because you have to go through the whole human resources pro- well, process. Well, and there'll be some competition there. Like, I think Texas is Te- Texas is, but Texas will hire Chris Ash, who the, was former uh, Rutgers or was he Maryland? Oh, no, he was Rutgers. He was Rutgers, he was Rutgers head coach. He yeah. was the Ohio State defensive coordinator when Herman was offensive coordinator. Okay, so they know each other. Right, yeah. they're they're yeah. very close. They're, yeah. they're pretty good friends. So that's probably going to happen there. If something happens and that doesn't go through, then – the, then yeah, Odom may, probably becomes a candidate at Texas because I think he's he'd be a strong candidate for a spot like that. But right now, uh, the quicker Virginia Tech moves, uh, right now the only open spot is Texas. Only other open spot that I know of, the only major one at least, right. is Texas. So the quicker Tech moves here, the less competition they'll face. So if they feel like they can get Odom, they're going to move very quickly. And if they can get him, man, I, I think it'd be get announced next week sometime. 
Yeah, because of what you're looking at here is there are a lot of teams going to bowls. There's there's some some real blue bloods still left in in championship games and things like that. That they're like you take uh, uh, what do you got? You got five conference championship games, four. Yeah, yeah but uh, but you you've so you've got some really good teams playing, and their defensive coordinators might get hired away afterwards. Right. Sure. So yeah, if you want Odom, get him now. Okay. <clears throat> Great. Uh, seriously, those are really good questions. And I'm sure one thing that we'll be talking about here soon is uh, bowls for Virginia Tech on oh. another podcast. And uh, long ways away from all that. but <laughs> well, 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 we've seen projections right. of uh, Music City, um, Belk. Belk, or even Pinstripe. So th- so th- but those, those are national I'm going to come up projected. with another acronym instead of uh, instead always of be redshirting. Instead of ABR, it's ABA, anybody but Alabama. That, that, that one projection that has Virginia Tech in the Citrus Bowl against Alabama. No, no, no. Why? No, why, no. why, 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 no. why? I just I – actually, I've always wanted to write this, and as much as I write, I'm surprised I've never written it. <laughs> I dislike conference tie-ins with bowls where there are these contracts that says, okay, if this happens, then we have to send a team from this conference to this bowl. Why can't we just let the bowls pick who they want to pick to assert – well, uh, and I understand that they'll pick a eight and four Virginia Tech over a ten and two Syracuse or whatever, like the Gator Bowl did in two thousand one, which it, is unfair. It's been so but, long that I don't remember my Wild West Bowl selection history, but I, mm-hmm. but I do remember uh, when UVA was number one in the country back in nineteen ninety, uh, a, a close to a full month before the season ended. The Sugar Bowl said, "Hey, UVA, you want to come?" And UVA said, "Sure." And then UVA wound up being eight and four. I believe was their final yeah, record. Think, yeah. uh, well, eight, eight and four and after their bowl game, so they were eight right. and three. They weren't even ranked, and they went to the Sugar Bowl. Right. So, so that was one of the examples that led to the the whole bowl tie-in right. thing, and right. and the conference realignment forced some of that also. Right. Well, you know, I, f- I feel like there's whatever system we're talking about. There's no way Virginia Tech should play Alabama on a bowl game this year. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Or, or any year in the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. Wait till 2035. Um, yeah, right. Um, till well, that ACC who knows if we'll even be the same in, division. And Virginia right. Tech's making $200 million a year, oh, just like Alabama. Goodness gracious. Thanks, John Swafford. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, give me another Arkansas. Okay. Go into the offseason with some uh, positive momentum yep. is what I'm hoping for. Whether well, it's a Belk Bowl or – Music City, whatever. I've always wanted to go to the Citrus Bowl, honestly, but there was never an avenue towards it. Now there is, and now you're telling me that we might play Alabama if we go there. I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> might stay at Disney World while I'm down there. You Get say us. positive momentum. We've got a lot of positive momentum here rolling into December on the Tech Sideline Podcast, one of our longer ones uh, coming up on the 11 o'clock hour. We've been rolling uh, for quite some time here on the show today. So uh, episode 100, a good one, a check off the box. Um, thanks to everybody for, uh, as always, for dropping great questions here. And, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it. Any closing uh, thoughts for you guys before we wrap things up? Oh, I'm just going to have a chat with the terror gnome over there. He was definitely <laughs> fell asleep on the job. Get that <laughs> stupid grin off your face. <laughs> and you need to give that lunch pail back to me, little guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. All right. Well, listen, that's going to do it for this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, thanks so much, for everybody. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And thanks so much for everybody watching on Facebook or listening. However, you got the Tech Sideline Podcast. I hope you can join us on Wednesday. That'll do it for us here at the TSL Podcast. For Malcolm Stewart, our fantastic producer on the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for watching. This has been the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the official law firm.